Welcome to Tonebenders. I am your host for today, Tim Muirhead. By my side for this talk is my co-host, Mark Kilborn. Mark, are you ready to talk some Moon Knight today? I'm extremely excited about this episode. Moon Knight is a really cool show. It's on Disney+. Plus. If you haven't seen it, it is about a man who has dissociative identity disorder who is also a superhero, as many people in the Marvel Universe are. Uh, the show goes down the rabbit hole of a mystery dealing with ancient gods in Egypt, and it's extremely cool, and there's some very cool sound stuff that we're looking forward to discussing with the crew here. Yes, and speaking of the crew, let's introduce our guests today, starting with Moon Knight sound designer Kim Patrick. Kim has worked on a bunch of previous Marvel films and series and has credits as both a sound design editor and as a Foley artist on IMDb. Kim, how did you find jumping between those two worlds? Well, I love Foley and I love sound effects, so I kind of do that regularly. Part-time walk as a Foley artist and I part-time cut as a sound effects editor and do some sound designing. I started out as an intern for Randy Tom, so I got to sit in his room for a year and just learn all about sound design from a master, which was incredible. And then one of my first jobs out of the internship was actually walking fully for Frank Ranella on a Star Wars series called Rebels. And that's, ooh yeah, <laughs> Bonnie's, <laughs> Bonnie's fist pumping. Yes, I worked with Bonnie on that too. That was like, that was also one of your first shows out of coming out of Digi, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was the first. That was the my like first editorial and mix job at Skywalker. Yeah, that's a pretty great first gig. No kidding. It was. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's awesome. So that voice you just heard was uh, Bonnie Wild. Regular listeners will know Bonnie from her previous appearance on Tone Benders in episode one fifty three when we were talking about the Mandalorian. She was the re-recording mixer on I think half of the Moon Knight episodes in this series, mm-hmm. and also the supervising sound editor. Welcome back, Bonnie. Hello. <laughs> and finally with us is Max Smith, who was on our show previously to talk about the criminally underrated nine days back on episode 170. I was lucky enough to spend an afternoon with Mac in person recently. He seems like a really wonderful person, but I'm going to save my final judgment on Mac until hearing from Bonnie and Kim what it's like working with him under pressure. Just how <laughs> nice a guy is this Mac. Mac's great. Uh, welcome back, Mac. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. It's a, it's a pleasure to be back. Um, so first question up. Moon Knight is kind of a unique thing in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe in that it's not really connected to any previous characters or anything. It's starting from scratch. Kim, how did that affect your approach to the sound design? Yeah, that was really refreshing to be with new characters we haven't seen before in any of the previous films or series. So that meant we weren't tied to any established sounds and we got to just run with it in whatever direction the showrunners wanted and what we felt was appropriate for it as well. So 
it was a really exciting project from the get-go, just knowing that like we're going to create totally new sounds for a new character. So one of those new sounds is the suit transformation. Let's uh, dig into that. Well, that was definitely an evolving process, I would say. We did a lot of passes on it. I think the first pass we did was actually in episode five. We tried to do some early design stuff for that and Mac and I both took a crack at it. We sent stuff to them and we kept getting it shot back to us that it wasn't right, but we also weren't getting particularly specific notes other than they just didn't like it. <laughs> so that's always a challenge to uh, figure out to uh, translate what they mean when they say they don't like it. So you have to sort of go through all of your layers and reevaluate, come up with new ideas to go in a different direction from your first initial pass. So there was a weekend that Mac and I just spent the whole weekend making as many suit transformation ideas as we could. Um, I think it was during a mix. Mac had called me up and was like, can you work this weekend? <laughs> and we'll just like both do as many versions as we can and send it to them and then hopefully they'll like one of them. Yeah, it was a challenge. I think we were most of the way through episode two, which is really the first time you see the, the suit transform. The note I remember getting from the client was, it needs to sound majestic. <laughs> okay, what does that mean? Um, so yeah, Kim and I just decided let's you know it's a very short sequence it's probably only like eight seconds but let's make as many versions as we can not using reusing the same sounds make each version have completely different sounds and then finally there was one that they they picked and it was one of kim's someone's gonna get hurt if you don't let me help all right do it take control for now remember what was in that or are you able to share what was in that version that they ultimately liked yeah I was looking through uh I think for that version I had recorded page flips really close up to do all of the the cloth transformation and then I processed that through I think through crystallizer I ended up using a lot of the sound toys bundle to process a lot of the magic stuff a lot of phase mistress as well it does a really good job of like taking an ordinary sound and then turning it into like something magical. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember what else was in there. I think, I don't know if this ended up in that version, but I think some dog howling. I know that one of their notes from the, the very first one that we sent from episode five was that they did not want it to sound metallic. So we knew to stay away from that. One of the tricky things about a signature sound that happens so quickly is finding ways to make it play through possibly music and other things going on. Inevitably, a jackal screaming in the background or something like that. Uh, how did you tackle mixing the suit transformation? Uh, kind of a lot of ducking and weaving and like picking moments. I mean, Hashem's score was majestic i mean i think that's you know fair to say and so there's there's always an, an element of like not wanting to feel the music pull back to push something through so uh, some cases was just like kind of delaying the push into it so it's like slow build slow build slow build slow build and then afterwards pushing it but i mean we did have moments that were 
just kind of a case of having everything going as loud as you could possibly make it all at once because you can't you, sometimes you can't avoid that and you've got to just like elements of this suit transformation and it's like picking one that's gonna push through so you 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 kind of just like picking what to play and even you know the vfx the vfx would be updated and updated and so sometimes you then you get lucky and there's a particular like movement in the suit that's going to hit like between big hits in the music and stuff like that and sometimes it's cheating it just to delay it so it might be a little bit out of sync but you can just like get away with it and make it work so you're just kind of creating a rhythm between the music and the effects usually a different trick every time <laughs> you know you've got to just like figure out what's going to work for that one build like we had an instance in episode six when we were spotting where they were like you know here maybe what we could do is just play the music really low and have the sound effect really loud and even at that point me and Matt were like even at that point, I don't think that's going to pass. It's when, like, Amit is, like, revealing from the thing. It's like, that's going to be a huge piece of, of music. And you've just got to kind of suck it up sometimes. You know, sometimes when you're doing it, it's like, okay, well, here it's going to be music. And sure, we've done a lot of work with the effects here. But, you know, there's other places where kind of where you get a win where it works the other way and you're like no here we've done a lot of effects work and you gotta remember the composer's done so much work as well it's not like you know so that see I always try and be like not biased I like trying to remain like bipartisan in like the music and the effects world because you just really it's always the story you know that's what you're always going to go with it's always the story it's always like what's gonna give you chills up your spine you know what what's going to be the thing that works there and it's never because like one thing is better than the other it's just because of what's gonna like play right in that moment it was big everything but it was fun <laughs> I stumbled upon a strange accident when I muted Moon Knight because my son had walked in the room and was asking me a question. And it was the scene where uh, Haro is trying to get the scarab from Oscar Isaac and he can't open his hand and he's shooting his hand around. And without the amazing sounds that you guys put in... You will give him nothing. I strongly encourage you to return that. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm so strange, sorry about that. I will not ask again. I didn't do that on purpose. Don't know what's happening. That scene doesn't work in silence at all. Like you're, you're <laughs> like, it just looks like a, a crazy person. <laughs> and uh, I, I was really glad that I stumbled across this because the sounds that you guys all put in, they're, they're not massive, uh, super revealing sounds, but they're telling a story that the visuals are not telling at all, that there's this uh, higher power coming through him. Well, that's the story point, is what is happening in that moment. And so I think there was a discussion as to, like, how much Scarab to hear. Also, you know, also these guys went through a few versions of, you know, Scarab making... <laughs> that's the thing <clears throat> but what we um definitely like the overall note for the series was like not hollywood like egyptian like not the mummy not scorpion king it is like grounded it is you know it's magical but it's like very grounded very real you know organic is always the favorite word in scenes like that it was to like not overdo that moment because he's also we got to tread the line as well between all the psyches so 
we're not dealing with Mark in that moment who is stronger. We're not dealing with Moon Knight, so we don't want it to sound like he is physically super strong, you know, that he's making that movement, but it's definitely the scarab that is, like, the driving force there, so... Yeah, I feel like an early note was they didn't want the scarab to sound mechanical in any way, but we have to obviously have it sound metallic in some way, so finding that balance between getting the hint of metal, but it still has magic in it. The tests I did, I I tried using a lot of bells, and um, I have just a really small set of bells that have a really nice ring out to them and I have wooden mallets for them. And instead of hitting it with like the ball end of the mallet, I just use the stick end and sort of would like run it over the bells or like do rapid hitting and then taking out a bunch of frequencies from that so that it doesn't sound like just a normal bell, musical bell. It has this weird quality to it that feels like magic, feels like metal. Also, the scarab needed to have a sense of hovering because it was sort of the compass for them later on. So, and to get a hint at like the bug part of it, get a little ticking in there for like insect feeling. So yeah, that was a really fun process of figuring out what that scarab was going to sound like. We're starting to do this thing where we ask on Twitter of followers like, hey, what would you like us to ask the crew that we're interviewing? Unsurprisingly, Conchu's voice was brought up. And I'm curious how much of that was the actor's voice versus processing, and how did you all tackle that challenge? That was discussion from the very start. You know, even before our crew came on for the full show, we knew that the, the God voices were going to be a thing. Originally, there was a temp voice in there, not, not F. Murray Abraham. And so we played with that a little bit, but then Bonnie and I quickly realized like it's a little bit of a fool's errand to do that until you have the, the real voice in there. So once we got the the initial F. Murray Abraham recordings, I just spent a number of days just playing with processing. And, and my number one thing was I want to make sure it's intelligible. You can, you can really hear what he's saying because I've had the complaint on just as a viewer watching previous things of like, oh, that voice sounds really cool, but I can't understand every word. So, you know, played with so many different plugins ultimately settled on this this plugin that i've been playing with a lot in the past year called thermal by output they had a preset called a vocal swirl while thermal is mostly a distortion plugin it's got all these different modules so it's got delays and you know you can do things to different frequencies crunch or put different you know phasey effects on certain frequencies and so i just played around and played around and found a few that I liked and played them for Bonnie and we kind of settled on the ones that we liked and then sent them off to Marvel and see what they said and one of them stuck. Oh and I just want to add that um, it's really cool that when the Emmy nominations came out that not only did we get nominated for Best Editing and Mix but also F. Marie Abraham got a Emmy nomination for Best Vocal Performance for Moon Knight so I feel like you know we had a little hand in helping him with that. Very cool. That is really cool. So related to voices, um, another voice I was curious about was the jackal. I found it very interesting in the in the episode where it first appears because you hear it almost like a whimpering dog early on, and then it suddenly becomes this extremely threatening creature. Yeah, that was a, a real evolution of finding that, that final version that you hear in the episode. We got a guide track from them that had baby cries in it, so 
the first pass I did was actually some recordings from Max Kid. <laughs> he has these awesome recordings from when his son was a baby, very whiny and <laughs> whimpering. So I basically took their guide track and replaced it with all of these uh, baby cries and we sent it off to them. And immediately they kicked it back and they're like, no, no, no babies, <laughs> no babies. <laughs> so um, they had also early on asked if we could get any actual jackal recordings into that character. A real jackal is actually quite whiny like that. So this felt like the natural place to try to work with it. It was going to be hard to work that into the big beast version of the jackal. Second pass I did, I took... We have these awesome distant jackal recordings in our library. I took those and I meshed them with, I think, a chihuahua <laughs> that was like very animated and vocal in its performance. So the first part of the whine is an actual jackal. And then the tail end part of it, where it's like, what, what is it? What is that? <laughs> is this chihuahua like pitched down going. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that. Um, and then I think I baked in some museum reverb onto that. Sorry, Bunny. <laughs> it was all baked in. How dare me. you, Kim? How dare you help me? <laughs> uh, just to add to the the convoluted nature of it, as that you're not supposed to know what you're hearing exactly. Hello? Donna? JB? That's what sort of Steven goes around exploring, like, is it a dog? Do I need to like get this thing out of here? And then as it evolves into the larger version, that was also another process of finding what that creature was gonna sound like. I think the first pass I did for it was very like, generic pitch down dog, growly stuff and um, my husband has a really intense snore, so I recorded him, <laughs> unbeknownst to him. <laughs> that is amazing. Then I tried pitching that down. I think there's like very small remnants of that in the final version, but it didn't really <laughs> quite work. Um, the thing that I came across that worked the best was cardboard boxes. When you move cardboard boxes in a certain way, they actually have a very breath-like quality to them. And this is also something I learned from Randy Tom early on was like, if you're making creatures, you need to give them breath in order to make them seem real because all of us breathe. And if you don't have something breathing, then it doesn't quite stick. It's sort of like the Foley of <laughs> creature vocals where like you need that glue to make it believable. Give me the scarab, and you won't be torn apart. So I really spent a long time just like focusing on the breathing part of it and the growly part of it before even getting into the actual growls and screams and all that. And that's the base layer that I started with, was just a breath pass over the whole thing using cardboard <laughs> and uh, pitching that down. 
And then also in my like breathing pass, I discovered, you know, cardboard also has that really awful scrape if you like put the side into the box and pull it out. So then I just started doing a bunch of those passes, <laughs> cutting that in. Uh, Mac also took a pass over the jackal scene and added this awesome, intense, high-pitched scream. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, Mac, because it really adds to the terror. <laughs> yeah, it was actually a, a Brad Winterbaum note that he he wanted to make sure when the jackal especially lunges at, at Stephen right before he closes the door into the bathroom, and then also when the jackal gets in and lunges at him that really wanted to hear, hear this terrifying shriek. Her pass was great, so I just ended up topping a couple of those areas with that konyaku frying that I think I've posted a little video for on, on Twitter of those um, little Japanese yam balls that you um, put in a frying pan and you, you squeeze them with a, a spatula and they just shriek. So, um, yeah, that was, that was fun that it just, it just didn't take much time. It was just that little tiny layer on top. And then got to give a, a shout out to, uh, Tim Farrell as well. He did a pass over the whole scene as well. And I think he added in some like really nice, deep, big growly parts into it. And also when it's like jumping through that closet before it goes into the bathroom, he did some really great stuff in there as well. So yeah, this whole series was just a huge collaborative process between our whole effects team, the mixers. We had such, like Bonnie and Mac made, put together such an amazing crew with all of these really talented designers in their own right. So everybody got to put their touch on each of the episodes and it really culminates in that last episode. I think everybody's work is featured in some fashion in there, which yeah, just made working on this show also such a joy that we could be so collaborative and hand scenes off to other people and they'll put their touch on it. And I think that's also why this show sounds so great because so many wonderful people worked on it. Bonnie, are you okay? I'm just dying because <laughs> it's just now I'm finding out the jackals made it from cardboard and something you'd put in a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> the terrifying jackals are cardboard and yams being fried. <laughs> Sound is amazing. <laughs> it is. It's almost like sometimes as the mixer, like you just you just get the stuff you're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> and you mix it, you've got some notes like still, especially because we move so fast, you can be kind of detached from <laughs> <laughs> from what's going on and like you know Kim's doing all this at home and everything and Max doing a bunch of it at home and so it turns up in your tracks you're like yeah man this stuff's cool <laughs> and like you know to try and make an effort you know an effort to be like yeah man this stuff's cool <laughs> like I think it's better that you don't know because <laughs> if you knew <laughs> yeah we don't usually you know there's no time to really sit down and get in in depth of like where this stuff came from so it's always in these interviews actually that you find out like what the stuff is made of my what <laughs> did you think of that <laughs> that's like how fully mixers often don't want to watch what the fully arch is doing because if they watch them they'll be like oh that doesn't sound right but if they don't watch them they're like okay i like that we're doing the same thing with bonnie <laughs> don't don't watch our process just just listen and put it in 
<laughs> awesome. Well, thank you very much for talking to us today. Uh, I really enjoyed watching the Moon Knight series, so it was great to talk to you and find out how some of the sounds came together. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Filmbenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? Tonebenders is part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.